Welcome to the Premium Finance Show. Interviews and insights from industry professionals, helping you use financed insurance to provide tax-free withdrawals and extended estate protection. The Premium Finance Show is brought to you by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Find out more at yourpodcast.team. Now here's your host, John McDonough. On today's show, we have Dr. Gary McGrath, labeled a unicorn in the leadership development world. Today on the Premium Finance Show, we're talking about employee retention, but not only the Cool Springs side of employee retention, but also the leadership development side of employee retention. And when marrying the two concepts together, you're going to have greater than a 95% retention of your key employees and executives in your firm and have greater succession planning moving forward into the future. You don't want to miss this show of the Premium Finance Show. Good morning, Dr. Gary. How are you today? I'm fantastic, John. How are you? doing well. I'd like to welcome you to the Premium Finance Show. Um, I'm going to give a brief description of your bio and then we'll go ahead and get started. How's that sound? Sounds great. Dr. Gary McGrath has been labeled a unicorn in leadership development. His undeniable passion for leadership started as an eagle in the Boy Scouts. After graduating with a degree in mechanical engineering, he served in the United States Army where he commanded a unit of 120 soldiers at the age of 25. His 30 years of business experience in sales, operations, safety, customer service, and marketing was with Fortune 500 companies and startup technology companies. Dr. Gary completed his formal education, earning a Doctor of Business Administration in Marketing. He founded Statarius LLC at statarius.com in 2009. He's the author of two books, one, Mastering Leadership, excuse me, Mastering Sales Leadership, Learning to Herd Cats, and another, A CEO's Journey, The Seven Steps of Intentional Leadership. He's a certified speaking professional with the National Speakers Association. He's also the creator of the Leader Step 7, a holistic leadership development program committed to getting rid of bad bosses. By developing a bad bosses into good bosses, than great leaders with compassionate accountability. Dr. Gary believes in paying it forward. Each year, he volunteers his business expertise to a nonprofit for a minimum of one year. And he's currently working with Habitat for Humanity, Broward County, Florida. Dr. Gary, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, John. That was, uh, that's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. And I I read through it and I'm like, okay, do I need to read all of it? And I'm like, yeah, I do. Because the the listeners need to understand the scope and breadth of who we're talking to today. And I mean, we're blessed to have you on the show. So thanks for taking the time. Well, thank you, John. It's always good to talk to people about what you do, what I do, and how all that comes together. I'm pretty excited about it. Well, I am too. I have to be honest with you. And thinking about the lead up for the show today and doing a little bit of homework, and you and I have spoken in the past, we provide employee retention vehicles, as you know, for Cool Springs, for organizations, from a monetary, from a financial reward standpoint. But you you do it, in my opinion, from the complete other end of the spectrum, which is not monetarily driven. It's developing leaders, right people, and creating retention from that perspective. But before we get there, let's talk about personal Dr. Gary. What do you like to do for fun? What are your hobbies? What are your passions outside of leadership development? Well, for fun, I, I 
think that I've been also dubbed a tennis fanatic, was a soccer player, learned how to play soccer in Scotland, actually, John. I My dad was stationed in Scotland for two years when I was nine, 10 years old, learned how to kick that little soccer ball. Of course, there's a football over there <laughs> and got involved in sports and just enjoyed it. But I picked up a tennis racket when I was about 17, 18 years old and decided that that was my sport and played for a couple of years on the sidelines at the tennis powerhouse at the University of Connecticut, where I got a mechanical and metallurgical engineering degree. That was my real claim to fame and an ROTC scholarship that brought me into the army. So a a lot of intersections of things, but I still play today, play competitive. And the most fun I have is getting to play national tournaments with my son, uh, Michael. I actually played nationals with both of my sons who are both division one, division two college tennis players and uh, get to play in national father-son tournaments. And my son and I were ranked number two in the country a couple of times, actually. And I I can honestly say, John, it's because I stand in the alley and he takes most of the balls. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have to know your strengths and your weaknesses. Isn't that right? That's right. That's right. So it keeps me young, though. It keeps me healthy and, and out there. As my dad used to say, as he hit 90 and passed away a couple of years ago, but he said, just keep moving. So that's what well, I'm trying to do. Well, and you're definitely moving in the leadership development space. So I, I think I could try to draw the lines and connect the dots on how you got into leadership development. But But how did this come about? How did you find yourself as Dr. Gary, the leadership development guru? Well, you know, when I was, when I was younger, I'm going to, I'm going to say about that eight, nine, 10, I had three older brothers and I just felt competitively driven by them to do better than them. And I also felt in me that something, I was going to do something special. I, I don't, I didn't know what it was. I don't know how that comes to us. I believe it's divinely determined if we pay attention And about 16, when I was 16 years old, I was an Eagle Scout and we had a troop leader come in and turn the troop around in just a a very short period of time. And he he stood in front of us, John, and he said, look, we've got the we've got the Boy Scout Jamboree in six months and we're going to we're going to prepare for this. We're going to create teams. We're going to use the Boy Scout handbook as our guide. You can have parents to coach you through these 16 events that we're going to prepare for and we're going to get organized. And I, I'm shortening the story a bit, but the, the, the fact is, is that in a few minutes, he set a goal, which was about the Boy Scout Jamboree. He established the guidelines and the boundaries with the Boy Scout handbook, and he created an organizational structure with teams and coaching all in a matter of minutes. And I was just fascinated by the energy that was created in, in the troop, like in minutes, you could just feel a vibration, John. And I was like, what is this? So I walked up to the troop leader later on and I asked him and he said, and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Gary, that's leadership. And that word just stuck with me. And I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta figure out how to do this. So for decades, I have been trying to figure out how to do this and started with being an officer in the army and then working in manufacturing for 10 years with Procter and Gamble and Scott Paper. Started my first business in 1990 in this training and development world and realized that I needed, I needed more. I needed to do much more. And by that, I went on a path to go back into the business, take other business opportunities as a vice president of sales and marketing for multiple companies. And then 
to finish my education. I got my MBA and then I finished my doctorate in business administration and started Staterius in 2009, committed to our mission, which is to make good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. And that's what I get to do today. And so how do your clients come to you? Is it it's hard to to put that mirror up to our faces, leaders, and and reflect and say, you know what, I need help. I'm not a good leader. So, how do they come to you, or how do you find good potential clients for for Staterius? Well, most of it, John, is through personal contact, through my uh, referrals from my present clients and friends, and people will say, you know, so and so needs help. Could you give them a call? And, you know, you make a good point about for a lot of leaders putting that mirror up. I'm looking for two things and I will interview a CEO to determine whether I will work with them or not. And they figure it out after about 15 or 20 minutes when I'm asking them a bunch of questions and they say, I I thought you were here to provide me services. I feel like I'm being interviewed. And I'm like, oh, you are. Because there's two things I'm looking for. Number one is the acceptance that two heads are better than one. You know, so they look in the mirror and they say, gee, do I know everything I need to know or should I get somebody else involved that knows what they're talking about? And number two, it's vulnerability and modesty and humility to be able to say that I do need help. If if a, a, a business leader is not willing to accept my help, I am not going to waste my time. And I want them to be able to say, you know, maybe maybe they're not great. Maybe they're good. Most of the bosses I work with are good bosses. They're not bad bosses. And they recognize that they can get better and they want to get better. So it's a combination of all of these things. It's personal reference. It's a humility and, and acceptance of, of modesty and two heads are better than one. And putting all those things together to build a relationship that we can have where I can offer them compassion and accountability. And why is leadership development so important to the clients that you work with? Well, well I've, I've said this uh, many, many times in any organization, leadership is everything. Leadership is about people. When I, when I separate leadership and management, I separate this in, in this very simple way. Management is about stuff. Leadership is about people. And do they intersect and overlap a lot? Of course they do. But we've got to understand how to build our organization through people, through their strengths, through their ability to do better. Okay. If, if they're not focusing on the people and they're focusing on financial results or processes and organization, they're not going to make it. It's just not going to happen. That's why there's only two scientifically measurable and correlated characteristics of leadership effectiveness. And the first is emotional intelligence, our ability to connect with others through our own understanding of ourself and our own emotions, self-awareness, and then being able to connect with others through social awareness and relationship management. Without that, you're, you're going you're gonna to lose it. You're not going to get it. And it, you know, that brings us back to this idea of retention that you work on. When I look at a leader's history, any, any level of an organization, one of the first questions I ask is what's their turnover in their organization? If there's high turnover, I can guarantee, guarantee 
that we have a leadership problem. And I'm going to give you an example of several clients that I've been working with for, for, for years. They have very low turnover. They have participated in my leadership development programs, which is a nine month, very intense leadership program that focuses on emotional intelligence and strengths and goal setting and all the things that you need to do as a leader and a manager. But the, if the culture of that organization is not where people want to stay. They're in a market where people could leave that culture. They could leave that organization and get 20 to 50% more salary than they're getting right now. And they're not leaving. Hmm. And in fact, in multiple cases, they've left and they've come back. And that, that's the, the exciting part about talking to your organization. You and I have been talking for a few months is understanding how you can connect this desire to retain people and lead them, but also to consider financially how to help them. And that's what your mission is about, to help them financially long-term, to take that financial desire off the table of the grass is always greener, or I need to do this because I can make more money. And because some people will leave, good people will leave for a financial reason. And find out, well, it's not any better, but I am making more money. So they justify that. But the work that you're doing, and I, I, I love Sam Watson's whole mission behind this idea of retention and, and people, kind of middle class people that can create wealth and, and future stability financially. This is a capitalistic country. And my good friend, J. Preston Jones, Dr. J. Preston Jones has been my best friend for 35 years. He's the author, co-author of my first book. He put, he kind of sums it up, John, getting old and poor sucks. <laughs> oh, that's such a good quote. I'm going to steal that. And, and, and I hope I can have your approval to use that over and over again, because I know that he would, he would <laughs> allow us to use it. And, Getting old and, 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 and that's poor what I'm sucks. excited about. Yeah, you know, getting old and poor sucks. I mean, if all the only thing you're going to depend on is social security, and that's what most people are doing. And the work that you're doing within healthy companies is is it, it's it's it comes it's multiple levels because you're. I've had this conversation with many of the executives over the last five or ten years. What are you doing to ensure? that your future superstars are going to stay with your organization. I've got an organization I've been working with for years. Most of their senior executives are between 55 and 60 years old. And they're bringing up a bunch of 30 year olds right now as we speak. Mm -hmm. How are they going to make sure that their legacy continues to maintain the culture of this organization into the future and the culture Intentional culture is created with great leadership. If you don't intentionally build the culture, the culture will build itself and people will go into business for themselves and it'll go in all kinds of direction and you will have cultural chaos. And so obviously it's just you and I on this, on this podcast today. So we're on our own little vacuum environment and it, it feels like, to do this properly, if an organization is going to retain 
key people and it, it, businesses, organizations, it's really about the human capital. Yes, they produce widgets. Yes, they provide services. But ultimately, it's the human capital behind the generation of those products or services. If an organization is going to retain its great leaders that it has right now or develop future leaders, wouldn't you agree, or maybe not, but I think you would, that it's a combination of the monetary incentive, which is what Cool Springs provides, right? Getting old and poor sucks. So we can at least prevent one of those, not the getting old, because that's just going to happen. That's inevitable. It's it's inevitable. You know, uh, the alternative is not a good option, right? Or, and it's the time it takes to develop good leaders, but that's not an overnight thing. See, when Cool Springs, when we do our design, we can put a, a, a projection in the future of this is what the monetary impact, this is the future incentive of dollars that you're looking at for that executive. But how do you quantify that? How do you put a time frame on the development of certain leaders? Because I'm, I'm assuming it takes time. It, this, is a, this is a process. It's not an overnight success. Absolutely. And that's why everything I do is a process. And that's when we talk about leadership development within these organizations, it's, it starts with a nine month process. And often I work with executives and I coach them for three to five years. So a couple of things to answer your question. First of all, I tell people, if you haven't had any leadership development, it takes five to 10 years to become mediocre. With leadership development, we can accelerate that to three to five years. And let me use, if since we're talking about finance along with leadership, let me use a, a financial a parallel to this. And it really is what Warren Buffett says. It's compound interest. You do compound interest over 10 or 20 years, you put a little bit of money away and, and over the, the course of time, you're, you're going to do okay. That's so good. Well, leadership is compound interest. Our definition of leadership is the ability to build relationships so you can achieve your goals together with compassionate accountability. Now, here's the problem. People think that compassionate accountability is an either or thing. And it's not. It's a continuum situationally applied by great leaders that know when to assign compassionate accountability with a focus on compassion or a focus on accountability. But there's always a piece of each in every interaction that leaders have with their people. That balance situationally is where the challenge is. So when you and I talk about long-term growth of a culture, you're talking about long-term vision of what that culture is and you want it to be. That's compound interest. I'm going to use the metaphor of the Kaizen. It's one-tenth of 1% improvement every week, just a little tiny improvement, a little tiny thing. That's compound interest. Leadership is the same thing. When we take our people through our leadership program, we start with a three and a half day boot camp. Gee, I take me back to my military. It's a boot camp. It's, it's intense. And when we start, I tell people at the end of three, three and a half days, something's going to happen. And what's going to happen is a level of awareness that you're going to have of yourself because leadership is an inside out process. When you become more aware of who you are, what you stand for, what your values are, what your mission in life is, you can then align that, we hope, 
with the mission and values of the organization, but it has to come from the inside out. When we have that balance of personal and professional values and mission, you can create leaders that are superstars or individual contributors that are superstars. Because some cases people are in leadership positions and they realize in their awareness, I don't belong here. I don't like doing this. Put me back into a high level individual contributor position and let me be great there. There's a level of leadership expertise that they can offer by just being who they are. So it's not always about being in a role of leadership, but as my podcast says, and my subtitle of my podcast is leadership is a responsibility, not a position. So let me summarize it all in this way. All of these things require a balance a balance of financial future and compounded interest through that and the work that you do, a balance of leadership development over time to create a culture that organizations want to have so that they can succeed and not just succeed, but to be sustainable over a long period of time. That requires a long-term vision and understanding. But we start with that three and a half day boot camp and developing it. And that process starts where people in three or four days have epiphanies of what the potential is. I, I have to tell you, I started this with a with a client just recently. It was an engineering company. And I say that for a reason, because I have five engineers sitting in the room. <laughs> By the end of the day, I had three of them crying. Were your numbers wrong? I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> they were crying. It had nothing to do with numbers. It had to do with passion. It had to do with why they were there. It had to do with what they loved to do and what they wanted to do together. And that's powerful. I, that's what we want to create, building relationships so we can achieve our goals together with compassion and accountability. It's complex. It's a balance. It's a moving slide of all of these things that combine this idea of uh, financial understanding within an organization with retention programs that, that, that you do to make people understand that, look, your future is, is not at risk here. Just relax and let's go do great things. Well, and when people can feel that way financially, then they can feel relaxed for their family being taken care of for themselves 20 years from now. And quite frankly, John, they'll just kick ass. You know, what you're saying resonates so strongly with me because I, too, come from a sports and athletic background. So coaching has always been something that I've been open to and, and quite frankly, craving. And it's crazy when you get into the business world, coaching, you have to seek out coaching. It's not necessarily just provided for you. You have to go get it. And I saw your video that you had on online about your forehand and how you had a bad forehand for 10 years and you played one match with the guy, you won one game. And he said, you're always going to have a bad backhand unless you fix your grip. And right. the analogy I have is to my soccer days, as well as to golf currently mm -hmm. and proper coaching, swing coaching, putting, grip, mental aspect, how you approach the game. But Gary, why, why is this so hard in the business environment? Why as leaders, as CEOs of our companies, why do we think we can do this on our own without coaching? What's the disconnect there? I think a lot of it has to do with a lack of immediate feedback. So you hit a golf shot and you, you 
shanker to you. You slice it and it hey, goes you, off and out of bounds. You weren't there on Monday, were you? <laughs> One of those days, huh? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you, you slice it in, in out of bounds and you go, huh? And you do it again, you do it again. You're getting immediate feedback. So you're going, I, I need some help. Okay. Obviously what I'm doing isn't working. Well, we don't get that leadership. Now we, we have started to do a lot more assessments. When I do coaching, I go in and I do a, a, an interview assessment by talking to people around that, that executive and ask them about their leadership. I have some very specific things that I, I look for. And then we also do some 360 degree feedback sessions. So we get them, we get them feedback, but John, think about this. How scary is that for some leaders to make themselves that open and vulnerable to actually hear what others have to say about their leadership? It's kind of scary. Oh, the vulnerability is massively scary. It's it's terrifying. What, yeah. What if I suck? <laughs> you know? or, I think, or I think I'm not good. What if they also think I'm not good? Exactly. But is being ignorant about that, the, the answer? No. In fact, here's the beauty of it. I say, I, I'll, I'll, I'll tell leadership teams and go, what makes you think that you've got to make all the decisions as the CEO or the president? How many people do you have on your staff? You got five, you got eight. How, what if we can leverage the strengths of everybody on that team and your job is a facilitator? And this is the thing about leadership that people get wrong. They think that they get this picture in their mind of the general on the on the on the war field, right? Making these decisions. Is decisiveness important? Oh yeah. In fact, it's one of it's the second most important statistically correlated scientific characteristic of leadership, which is cognitive judgment, the ability to make good judgments, but in a timely manner. So here's the thing. Do you believe that two heads are better than one? And they go, well yes. Well, if you're not using your staff, it's not because they don't have an opinion and can help you make decisions. It's because you don't have the skills to draw them out and facilitate a decision-making process that's effective and comes up with the best possible outcomes. Leadership is not about just decision-making. The emotional intelligence is being able to see on someone's face. If I say something to you, John, and, and you don't agree with it, but I'm not socially aware enough to see the scrunched up face that you will show me. You kind of, you know, make a funny face. I, I stopped now and I would look at you go, wait a minute, what was that face? And you go, why? No, I didn't make a face. <laughs> you know? And you go, no, you made a face. What was that face? Well, I don't necessarily agree with what you're saying. Excellent. Tell me, tell me why make this better. Again, it's humility. It's vulnerability. It's the ability to be able to have those relationships so deep that we're not afraid to be open with each other, but you have to learn the skill of awareness, observation, conversation, facilitation, and compassionate accountability all wrapped into one to create your leadership capabilities so that those things happen every moment. The problem is, you don't obviously see the slice. Mm -hmm. It's not obvious. What did you, what would you say is the most common characteristic or trait of a company business owner 
who would most benefit from your help? What, what's that most common trait? Oh, that's a that's a tough question because all the business owners that I've worked with have a whole variety of different strengths and flaws. I I would say a lot of it they they're not leveraging the people around them as much as they could. They're challenged with delegation. They're challenged with the process of delegation, understanding how to establish clear goals and boundaries for each role that's working with them. And then having a, I call a, a meeting rhythm, a communication process that keeps everybody informed of how you're moving down the path to contribute to those goals. And, and when you create a process that does that, John, the, the executives, these high performing professionals, they hold themselves accountable. The process holds them accountable. I've worked with CEOs that they say, I don't like conflict. I'm like, okay. Well, let's create a process where you don't have conflict. And 99 times out of 100 professionals, when you create a process where the goals are set, the action plans are set, people have set expectations and they list what their action plans are. They hold themselves accountable. All you do is facilitate the process of review, the process of communication. Once that process is set up, only occasionally does the coach come in and say, Hey, you know what, John? You need to have this tough conversation. And I, so I had this conversation with several executives that, that just hate conflict. And the problem after a while becomes, look, if you don't have that tough conversation, your direct report is not the problem. You are. And what are you going to do about it? And they go, oh, Yeah. And they come to that realization and, and I help them learn the skills to have the conversation. It doesn't have to be this big blow up conflict. It's a conversation between two professionals. Let's learn how to do that right. That's outstanding. And so it's such a difficult topic for me because it causes me to reflect myself. And I fancy myself as a as a leader, but then I also am cognizant and aware of my own shortcomings as a leader. And there's other issues that start to come into my head. As an example, I don't know if these are apropos, but as an example, it's, you know, I have no desire of slowing down in the business that I'm in right now. Obviously mm -hmm. with Cool Springs, we're, we're running at, you know, a very high rate currently. If I start to develop, this is, this is some of my faulty logic, but I'm just going to say it. If we start to truly develop exceptional leaders, am I going to, am I hiring my future replacement? You know, are they going to not replacement as of my company, but are they ultimately going to become a competitor down the road? What about that thought process? As, as faulty as it is, how do you address that? Well, there, there's a famous thing about that. If I'm training my competitors or training, you know, the, the future person that's going to take over my job, what's the cost of not training? So I, I worked for Procter & Gamble for, uh, for four and a half, five years. And they went from about $8 billion in the 80s when I was with them to, I don't know, they're like 80 or $100 billion now. How did they do that? Because they had an intentional culture that brought young people in and they trained and developed them. And they kept the best. So 
Yeah, you might be training your your competitors. You might be training your replacement. You better be training your replacement. I'll put it that way. Now, as far as your competitors are concerned, if you're retaining your best people and you're training your best people, then occasionally you're going to lose one of them. Wouldn't it be great if we developed such strong relationships with people that we wish them well when they go off on their own? Absolutely. And we say, and we, because isn't your mission? I mean, let's let's go back to the mission. The mission is not to become an exclusive provider of wealth to the middle class, or however you want to say all that that Sam says. And I I know I'm I'm butchering it, but I I love the the the, the real core of this. But if somebody else is doing it, isn't that also helping your mission? Sure, absolutely. So let's develop as many great people as we can, and actually fulfill the the vision that Sam has created in this organization. And by doing it within your organization and having the retention level that you ought to have, you ought to keep nine out of 10 of them anyway. Okay. Well, exactly. And that's exactly where I was about to head with that. So in addition to that feeling that I had, if I were to replace my concern with a concern of a client of yours or of ours at Cool Springs, so in conjunction with the leadership development, in training them to be better leaders and ultimately having a better impact on society altogether, when you couple that with a proper golden handcuff strategy, a retention strategy, a long-term incentive strategy. So not only do you have great people that have become great friends and great relationships, but also they have to think twice about leaving from a monetary perspective. That is truly the golden handcuff, Yeah. right? So like you said yeah. at the beginning, people will leave for 50% more pay because the leadership stinks where they're currently at. Or it, the leadership is great where they're currently at. They'll leave for 50% more pay, but then ultimately come back because they realize it's not all about money. But when you can tie those two together beautifully and you use the word balance i like to use the word integration because at some point you know maybe one is more useful than the other is but when at at a current point in time but they have to be integrated together would you agree oh absolutely and i do love the word integration over balance and a lot of things and in the things that we're talking about is integrating the, the the culture of 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 humanistic approach to business with financial stability for the future so when when you talk about this, first of all, I want to I want to make one more point about leaving for fifty percent. No, people in a bad company or a bad boss will leave for five percent, or sometimes for less because they 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 just don't they don't like their boss. They'll just That's leave. Right. In right. in fact, studies have shown that seventy one percent of employees have had an intolerable boss in their career. Seventy one percent, and when they have that, they're going to leave. Now, let me, I just want to say one other thing. You talk about retention. In the organizations that I work with, the retention of people that have been through the leadership program is greater than 90%. People aren't leaving these companies. In a couple of cases, they left and they came back because they did not like the culture they went to. Now, to your point, if you identify some of your high flyers, your high performance people, that are at the top of the organization. And you can also give them a financial reason for staying that gives them long-term financial stability. You're going to have a hundred percent. I mean, there's no question about it. And I, the, the model that you have combined with what I do in leadership development 
it's just a winning, it's a winning thing. And the, the company that has done this the most, I'm going to start a, the eighth leadership development course here in September with this client. They've been doing it the most years. They've done it for seven or eight years. Their retention is over 90% of everyone been, been through it. Half the people that have gone through the program have been mm-hmm. promoted and the company has more than tripled in size in 10 years in an industry where actually there's, it's in the roofing business. I'm going to tell you, it's the, you know, this is not an easy business and they've tripled in size. So it's just understanding the, the complexity of human nature in all of these things. We can, we can create retention with financial offerings, but if we don't have leadership with it, then people are going to leave, even if it, even if it's a great situation. But if we can create cultures and I, I, I you know, I, John, I, 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 I talk to people about sales all the time. I say, look, you got to you got to create a value proposition and, and where the pain might be. You got bad bosses and we can improve your results and all this stuff. And I'm like, OK, once I get through that, I don't know about you, but my last approach, John, is I beg you. Hire me to develop your leaders because <laughs> we can make a huge difference. And I know that you feel the same way about the, the products that you have. It's like, it's almost like, no, we're not going to beg, but we can make a huge difference. Just give us an opportunity to talk to you. It's exactly right. A hundred percent. So what's your vision for Staterius and what do you hope to accomplish over the coming years? Developing more leaders. I have, I have six Staterian trainers, coaches that work with me now. We have a model of expansion where as we bring on more accounts, they become account managers and bring on their teams. There's all kinds of talent out there that can follow the process that I've developed over the last seven years and infused into my five statarians that we're going to go out and expand this into the marketplace. We're looking to double next year is what it looks like and excited to get, I want to get hundreds of people with multiple companies through these programs, John, because it makes such a difference, not just in people at work, but I get phone calls all the time from a lot of people that say how much it's made a difference in their personal lives. They're, they're listening to their, to their, okay. I got to tell you one quick story because this kind of started some things with our program, emotional intelligence tests that we take, this young man, he was in his 20s and his self-awareness, his social awareness was kind of low. So he decided to listen better. And he decided one weekend that he was going to listen to his five-year-old son and just take the time to listen to everything he said without, without judgment, just accept it to his five-year-old. He said within 48 hours, the relationship with his son changed. He, st- he didn't have to yell at him when he asked him to do something. He, he, his son just did it immediately. And he, he just, he just realized that by, by giving him this safe space of listening, he changed the relationship with his son. And I've got dozens of stories like this with parents who are doing a better job listening and coaching and asking questions rather than giving answers and giving advice. And that's one of the things I just want to point out about the problem with the sports analogy and a coach is you're you're coaching a sport quite often with an expert in that sport. 
that will say, oh, you're sliced because your right hand is too far behind the club. You got to get over the top of the club, move your hand over here, and you're going to find that your slice straightens out. And it's great. Okay, so you do that. They tell you, they advise you. Business coaching isn't like that. Business coaching quite often is asking questions for you to determine how best to solve your own problems because you already know the answers. Mm. Most leaders know the answers. And what are they afraid of? They're afraid that quote unquote, this sports coach is going to come in and tell them how to do their job. And that is dead wrong. A, A business coach comes in and asks questions and helps you uncover the solutions that you already know in 99% of the time. Now I will admit with over 30 years of business experience, if I was coaching you and you got to the point, you go, I just don't know what to do. Can you help me out? I'm going to give you some ideas, but that's the last step. Mm -hmm. The first step is taking you through a process to help you solve your own problems. Why? Because I have to give you the skills as your coach to be able to do it yourself. Because day in and day out, you're on your own. That's magic. It, I mean, it's just absolutely magic. I mean, if nothing else, people should reach out to try to improve relationships with their family. But, you know, yeah. our businesses is our family. This is our business family. We're self-employed. We're entrepreneurial. For the most part, we're not, you know, the people listening to this show are not publicly traded companies. While there might be, most of our listeners are privately held, you know, started with one person, two people, and has grown and expanded from there. So our employees are our family, and they need to be heard and listened. And as leaders, we just need to get better. So Gary, thank you for your time today. If someone wants to reach out to you about Staterius and leadership development, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, they can just look up Dr. Gary McGrath on LinkedIn. Or if they go to Google and put my name in, it'll take them to my website, Staterius. It's S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S dot com. And if you want to email me, it's just Gary at Staterius dot com. But you can get get in touch with me any of those ways. Wonderful. Any last um, tidbits or parting information? The, the only thing I can say is I, I, I do a podcast myself, as, as you know, John. Yeah, and absolutely. I ask people at the end, if you were writing yourself a letter 25 years ago, what would you tell yourself? So I'm going to ask myself that question. Okay. Hey, let me ask you, Dr. Gary, if you were writing yourself a letter 25 years ago, what would you tell yourself today? I would learn to slow down, listen more, and just be kinder. That's what I would tell myself. Outstanding. Dr. Gary, thank you for joining us on the Premium Finance Show. I'm sure we will have you on again. And for those of you, Dr. Gary's podcast is Leading from the Front. Check it out. Thanks, Dr. Gary. Thank you, John. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. There we have it. Another great episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at premiumfinanceshow.com. And you can find out more about all the ways we can help you at coolspringsfinancial.com. That's it for this episode. Have a great week and we'll talk to you next time.